Welcome to Companion Pass. I'm thrilled to have you along on this wild ride as we explore the untamed world of rodeo life and the families and supporters that make it all happen. From thrilling arena action to quiet moments behind the scenes, this podcast is your ticket to the heart of true rodeo life. I'm Lindsay Branquino, and as a rodeo wife and mom myself, I've experienced firsthand the joys and challenges of life in and around rodeo. Together, we'll dive deep with rodeo families, rodeo athletes, and other folks who are living and breathing the Western way of life. We'll explore topics like raising families while husbands are away, navigating the dangers of a professional rodeo career, keeping a relationship alive when you're hundreds of miles apart, and what it takes to pursue your own goals in the midst of it all. Whether you're part of a rodeo family, a fan, or just someone who loves Western culture, Companion Pass will give you all the real, unfiltered insights you've been looking for. Let's dig in. Sammy O'Connell, welcome to Companion Pass. Thanks for having me. <laughs> I feel like this has been a long time coming, and I'm really excited <laughs> to have you on here. If anybody doesn't know, your husband, Tim, is a three-time world champion bareback rider. He is a 10-time NFR qualifier. He came off, we're only like a, a month removed from the finals, his 10th trip. And I know a lot has happened for you guys in that last month, which we'll get into. We're going to get into all of it. But I think maybe we just start at the beginning. I'd love to hear about how you grew up and then how you and Tim met when he came into your life. So it was actually funny how we met and how I grew up, I guess, goes hand in hand a little bit. So I grew up in Minnesota, right outside of the Twin Cities, not in the rodeo world. My family wasn't, but I was obsessed with horses as a kid. My parents... They moved like right outside of the cities and bought horses and knew nothing about rodeo. And I just was obsessed. We lived down the road from a barrel racer who at the time was a professional, Marin Luderman. And they got me in riding lessons. I was hooked. So like my city family is now taking me to rodeos <laughs> all throughout my life. And I actually went to college, ended up going to college on a rodeo scholarship at Missouri Valley College. And... So I went there, but in the summers, I would go home, rodeo, and that type of stuff. And so I was in a long relationship ever since I was like the end of high school into all through college, pretty much a little bit on and off. And so I was rodeoing one summer with my traveling partner, and we would go to all these rodeos together in the Great Lakes Circuit. And she actually was dating Tim's brother. And so we were with Tim's brother all the time. I didn't know Tim, didn't know who he was, Will O'Connell. He would talk about his little brother. And so she would go do stuff with them. But I'd be like, oh, I'm going to be at the trailer. I mean, I had a boyfriend. I could care less about going and hanging out with the other guys. So all summer long, she'd be like, oh, I'm going to go bring this TV to Will's little brother. All I knew of him really was Will's little brother. <laughs> and or I'm, we're going to run and go do this quick. Da, da, da. I'm like, okay, I'll stay at the trailer. I'm going to get some stuff done. So I never met him. Well, I think I had graduated at this time, went through a bad breakup. I was back in Minnesota and I decided, you know what, if I stay here, this is going to be my life forever. We're going to break up. We're going to get back together. And so I decided to go back to Marshall. And right when I moved back, one of my college roommates decided to stay there. She was also from Minnesota. And so we were out one night. College rodeo season had started back up. And 
had all these friends that were still there and I wasn't exactly sure what I was going to do, but I knew if I stayed in Minnesota that, you know, just wasn't going to work for me. So I met Tim, but we were at the bar. So we met at the (laughs) bar. So I just assumed it was like my age. I didn't know who he was. We're, I think that night or another night, I realized that he is not 21 years old. He is not my age. And his fake ID was someone that I knew from Minnesota. No. Oh my gosh. What are the chances? Yes. This up until this point, listening to your story, I just keep thinking about how fate is keeps trying to bring you two together. So you meet him yeah. and you have not connected that he's the little brother at this point, right? No, they look nothing alike. <laughs> have you ever seen them? Will's like over six feet tall. And Tim's tiny. No, they look nothing alike. He had a fake ID and it was somebody from Minnesota that you knew. Levi Barons. I grew up with him. Yeah. <laughs> oh I'm probably ratting everyone out with all this. <laughs> yeah. I was like, wait a second. You're not him. It was like, what is going on? I'm so confused. Then come to find out that he's Will's little brother. Yeah. So it was actually really funny. But then even to make things a little bit, I'm really going to lay my eggs on the table. So we start talking. He's out of a long-term relationship also. Not really sure where, you know, going to go, whatever. In the meantime, I'm like, okay, I need to get a job. I just moved down here. Um, I was actually supposed to start physical therapy assistant school before I'd moved down. And my parents thought I was like having a midlife crisis. (laughs) A midlife crisis at 21. (laughs) Yeah, they're like, what is wrong with you? You can't just like up and leave. I got into this really rigorous program at home. And so they weren't, they were not super impressed with me. So I'm like, I need to get a job. So I got a job at Missouri Valley College. So Tim and I start talking right before I get this job. Well, Tim is now a student. Oh my gosh. Or anything. I was working in the financial aid office. Yeah. Oh my Uh, gosh. I'm probably really laying all my eggs out there. So I get this job and we're talking and he would like, come into my office and see me. I'm like, I think this is probably not great. So long story short, we talked for a few months. He wasn't exactly sure with his ex. I was like, you know what? I've been through messy situations. Let's be friends. I don't want to do this. I don't want to be like up and down. I've done this. So we became friends for a year. He figured his stuff out, all of that. And then that next summer, he started blowing my phone up again. (laughs) And I, <laughs> I wasn't so sure. So I'm like, I gave, you know, my ex and I on and off. And I was like, I don't know about second chances. Sure. I've done that my whole life. Like, so for about three months, he convinced me that I should date him <laughs> again. And so then in this time, the day that I said that I would give it a go, he tore his shoulder off of his collarbone at a rodeo. So this was the first year that he was pushing to make the finals. And so he tore his shoulder off. So they didn't know if he would be out six months or if it potentially maybe would like end his career. Like they just sure. know it's just kind of something that you let heal. And the rest from there, we dated all through that. And he got rookie of the year that year. And then we only dated, I guess at that point, a year and a half. And he proposed. Oh, I love that. Like you said, when you finally just committed, you're like, I'm bad. I'm not going to do this on or off thing. It really sounded like he did too. And I find that in rodeo, oftentimes this, the injuries that these guys face end up being like a blessing in disguise. I, I don't know. There's something about the timing when it usually happens. Yeah. And it sounds like that was, you know, that point for you guys as well is that 
he hurt himself and you maybe just got to spend some time together instead of him, you know, being gone all the time. Is that kind of how it worked out for you? Yeah, I would agree 100%. And like that time, I guess to like grow together, because like I said, we just dated for yeah. a year and a half before we got engaged. And it was this great time to build a relationship without so much going on, because that can be yeah. hard. And I know the lifestyle to an extent. But yeah, that can be quite difficult to really get to know someone when they're not even there to get to know. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Another thing, like in your story, I mean, you talking about not growing up around rodeo or as part of rodeo family, you were really the first one that went after it. I would think that, and then living in Minnesota too, that's not exactly like the cowboy capital of the world. Not that cowboys can't come from there. You're not living somewhere in Texas where you're seeing these kinds of relationships around you or anything. Uh, having much experience about that. How do you then choose this path and have any idea what you're getting yourself into? Did everything just come as a surprise? Here you're like committing to marrying a rodeo cowboy. (laughs) What is this life going to be like? I would think that you really just went into it a little bit blind. Yeah, I think a little, I would say like quite a bit blind in a sense. But I feel like you're so young. Tim was only 23 when we got married. And I'm actually, which I'm sure I gave away with my, you know, dating while he was in college (laughs) and I worked there. But I'm almost three years older than Tim. I feel like partially you're just so young. You just don't even necessarily fully know what you're getting into. I don't know. I want to say it was like hard, but it wasn't hard. We had such a good and the big reason why I moved back to Missouri and I'm super close to my family too but support system there between like coach who was my rodeo coach and his wife Miss Carrie coach and Carrie Mason and then like their best friends Cindy and Steve have they became like my second family so I didn't just sit at home alone but I also wasn't the kind of person that's like oh I'm I want to go out to the bars and stuff much without like my husband or significant other that was never me but so I was with them like they'd have movie night I'd have movie night with them like they'd go sledding I'd go sledding or we'd go out to dinner like they just always included me and it's funny because I had friends and stuff my age but that's who I preferred to be around I'm really close with my family so the fact that I wasn't there with them I loved that family feeling so although I missed him and like it was hard he's always been so good about communicating with me. He doesn't care if he talks to me on the phone in front of people, texting, all of those things. So it was hard in the moments. And yeah, maybe it was like an adjustment period. But when we first started, like I was still rodeoing, I worked at the college. And then I also I like to be busy, like I'm not like a sit down kind of person. So then I also bartended and waitress at the country club. So I kept myself Yeah busy. I think that's part of it. If you have too much time, your mind will wander. I don't know. I picked the life. I knew to an extent what I was getting into. And I don't know. Yeah, I just loved it. I loved I think too, like his passion for it was always so like motivating. And I love that he had this passion. And so I was like, it just never bothered me as much as Maybe you would think it would. Right. And it's not, I, then it was easier than it is now, honestly. A lot of what you said right there really connected with me in the sense I was also, you know, young when we got married. And the same thing is I think that there's a certain extent, maybe of the success of our marriage, that goes back to just being naive. Like you're just young, you don't know any yeah. better. You think it's gonna be fine. And I think going into it with a little bit of the sense of, I don't know, we'll just see what happens. It'll be possible. We'll make it, you know, get you through some of that. You have to if you give 
too much space to the loneliness that can be kind of all-consuming, it can just be so overwhelming. And so what you were saying there about just like staying busy, having other great people in your life and other people to do things with that kind of fill the void that they leave behind is huge in making it through those days. Because if you stop for too long, or I know I felt like if I stopped for too long, then the loneliest really caught up with me. Whereas like you said, if I stayed busy, I, you know, had work and friends and other things that I didn't feel so much like my life was just being put on hold, especially when you're young. Because a lot of society or your brain or the people you're around are telling you like, oh, you're young, you should be going out, you should be doing these things. And when you're married, that's not, that's not really, that isn't your life, you know? I love to go out with Tim. That's who I like love to go out with. You know, he's my best friend. And yeah, I think that is just it. I think not letting myself very often. And like you said, the loneliness would catch up when you would like just be sitting at home, nothing to do by yourself. And honestly, to top it off, I'm the world's biggest chicken. (laughs) I don't watch scary shows. I don't listen to scary things. I don't read scary things, nothing. So the hardest part for me was staying home alone at (laughs) night. I hated it. Like (laughs) that would be the most difficult part. I hate being like, I'm a chicken. You kind of touched on it briefly there, but you've said it's harder now than it was then. And I think that's the experience a lot of us rodeo wives have. And I think that in large part, has to do with we, you know, we start our families, we have kids, and it's a lot harder to have them gone once you take that next step. So I would love to hear about those first like early years of you and Tim being married and how you guys approached the lifestyle as far as did you go with him? Did you stay home? And then how that has maybe changed since you guys have had your little boys. So yes, when we first were married, I was working full time at the college. And so I would go for some weekends, it would just depend on work. I'd fly in and out a lot, especially like in the winter run. I just remember one, I don't remember what winter it was with maybe 14 or no, it would have been 15 or 16. And he was just hot. Like he made every single short round, everything. So he was gone a lot more than usual. And something Tim has always been so good about then, but even like more so now, but He's always so good about coming home. He's rough sack. I don't know how time to make people do it, honestly, or pick up men or because the amount that they can come home in rough sack, I feel like it's so much more because they can jump on a plane yeah. and be home for 24 hours. And back then I don't know that he came home for just like 24 hours, but if he even had two or three days, he could get home. And so he would come home a fair amount. But that winter, I remember he like there wasn't time really for him to come home. So I tried to go there a lot for like short rounds and stuff like that. So I'd fly in and out for two or three nights I'd go. And it was so fun. You know, you're young, you're seeing the world with the person you love. It was fun. And he was having great success. You know, the high is high. Yeah. And it's fun. It's exciting. And getting to share those moments, those wins, is great, but also being there for the not so good rides, the rides where he's frustrated or things like that. Being with him in person, I'd pick that for both like situations over anything because it's so hard. And I'm sure you're really most of the time that you and Luke were together, there was not the cowboy channel. I would sit like anxiously when I wasn't with 
waiting by the phone to know a that he's off safe b how, like how did it go and i could instantly tell by the sound of his voice if it would went well or if he was frustrated and when you hear those you know lower tones or just, eh, like yeah. you could feel your heart sink a little bit like you just want to hug them and so that was hard but yeah being there was fun i went as much as i could but at that time i was working full time so it was a little bit limiting in that sense. And I tried to save as many days up as I could for NFR and stuff like that too. So I always had to be careful. Remember I went to Calgary one year and we had these things called open houses that nobody could miss. And I remember being so frustrated, but so I, Tim had make, made like the short round or something, but I had to fly back for one day of work. It was like a Friday. So I had taken off that week. I had to fly back for one day and I got super delayed and ended up making it back to work. And then Tim made like the short round. So he got through all the other rounds. And my boss was like, well, just fly back down then. I'm like, it's not that simple. Like we're talking about Canada. Like, okay. <laughs> I was just so frustrated. But so I did try to go when I could. Yeah. Yeah. So then now that you guys have kids, did that mean that you were able to go with him even less or more? When we had Hazen, it was amazing. 12-gauge ranch, Dustin Pointer. We met him in Kissimmee. Hazen was only a month old. So that's the other funny thing about, yeah, I just took him. Yeah. I just went. I was actually in tears that I couldn't take Hazen. Our doctor advised me when Hazen was eight days old that I shouldn't take him to Rodeo Houston. (laughs) And I was distraught. I didn't want to be away from him. I just wanted to take the baby and go. I didn't care. I just wanted to go. And he was like, you need to wait a month, Sammy. So <laughs> I did. So we went to Kissimmee and we met Dustin and he is one of Tim's sponsors and still is. And he provided insurance. Wow. And that is the whole reason I was still working at my job was insurance. Because I'm sure as you know, right. getting insurance for a rodeo cowboy yeah. athlete is one of the most difficult things <laughs> to get. It certainly is. Hearing you talk about him getting that for you guys, I'm just like, what rodeo cowboy can say that? That's huge. Yeah. So we still, yeah, it's amazing. I've never really heard of many other being able to do that. So that is when, so I was intending on going back to work after I had Hazen because of insurance. And so that really was a game changer for us. So I ended up quitting we went so I took Hazen everywhere at a month old I took him to Kissimmee two months old I took him to Las Vegas I think that was one of the first WCR or some I think it was another organization took him there for that three months I took him to Calgary like I took him everywhere and when the summer got busy though I like it was important to me and to Tim for him to be able to go with his traveling partners. I think it's nice for the guys to have not guy time in the sense of like bro time, (laughs) but like they can feed off of each other differently. I'm great support in certain ways, but I think like that competitive, that zoned in, like you focus on yourself. You don't need to worry about Hazen and I, you're there to do your job and that type of stuff. And so I think it's important to have that side, or at least for us. I don't think that's for everyone. I think, again, timed events a little bit different. You guys have trucks, trailers, like 
these guys are in a Capri camper shoved in the back. Like they don't right. need a wife and baby with them all the time. Yeah, maybe other timed events are different, but that's basically how steer wrestlers tra- <laughs> travel okay. too. Yeah, steer wrestlers are similar, I think, to that too. Yeah. So maybe they are. I don't know. Yeah. And I've totally experienced what you're talking about, that it's not just the camaraderie or just like the friendship when they're around there. But absolutely, I think when they're together, they tend to feed off of each other and just like the competitive energy. And then too, like when somebody else is winning and it just is a difficult thing to explain if you're not living it. But I absolutely agree with that. And what better time for him to be locked into that zone like you're talking about than the summer, which is by far their busiest time of the year. They're hitting the most rodeos. And if you can get hot in the summertime, that can make your entire year. Yeah. And it has for Tim before a little bit off topic, but like in 2019, after his third world title, he tore his shoulder off and he didn't come back until Reno. So he had three months to make the NFR and he got hot. He stayed hot and he didn't only make it, but he came in number six. Like the summer run. Yeah. is this huge and it's long drives like selfishly I'm tapping out (laughs) understandably especially when you're traveling with a baby for sure so I'm interested to hear like what the transition from going from one baby to two was like for you because I know that that was that was harder for me than going from like no baby to one baby is that like one to two, especially when you have a husband that travels all the time? And then me, for me, going from two to three again was like, well, this isn't that hard. But that one to two kid leap was like, oh, wow, this is real. That was hard. So I'm curious to hear what your experience with that was like. Yes, yes. And yes, <laughs> it was not that it's like anyone's fault or responsibility to give you a heads up, but I felt like everyone made it look so easy. And I felt like it was so hard. And I wouldn't say, I don't know, maybe I had postpartum slash, I don't even think that I was depressed. I was so anxious. It was hard. And I felt bad that I felt like it was hard. You know, at times like I'm I'm failing. Like, why is this so hard? I'm failing as Hazen's mom. I'm failing as Stratton's mom. And I'm failing as a wife. Like I just felt almost like this guilt. I'm so thankful to have this baby. I know people personally that would give anything to have this baby. But another hand me was like, what did I just do? I just made our lives hard. And at first it was, I felt a lot of that. I was exhausted and Tim was amazing help. Again, he was only home for a little bit at first. And Tim is very thoughtful and intentional. And I'm not good at asking for help. So that's probably part of why I felt like it was so hard. Rewind a little bit to Vegas while I was pregnant. I was pretty sick when I was pregnant with Strat. And we had this amazing babysitter who we've known for years. We used to use her as a dog sitter. Um, Her name's Chelsea. And we just had to bring someone to Vegas with us. Once I was pregnant with Hayes, Because just to kind of like help, I didn't want to drag him to everything. And so she came. Well, that NFR didn't go just great. And so she was so easy to be around in this like hectic, chaotic situation. So Tim's like, she was a nurse. So she worked like four days a week. And she lived at the time with her parents. And she was like in her late 20s, single. She's like, would you ever move in with us for a couple months when I go back on the road and get busy? 
And Sam is going to be home with two kids. And at first I was like, I don't think I need help. Like people do this all the time. Rodeo wives do this all the time. There's like that pride in you. And at first I was like, I don't think this is like necessary. Well, he's like, Sammy, I think we should try it. Like just have her move in for a couple weeks soon. And if you don't like it, no big deal. Okay. So she moves in. I think it was end of May. Okay, great. So she was there too, even when he was gone. And I still felt like I was drowning. I had help. She was at work during the day, but Hayes was at like daycare at the time. And I still, Stratton was not the best sleeper. He had acid reflux really bad. And so not only would he not nap, but he would nap for like 20 minutes increments at a time. So he couldn't really get caught up during the day. And I'd have like babysitters come in. We had some great friends and they were just like, hold him for an hour so I could sleep. You know, that mom guilt. You're like, oh, I shouldn't be sleeping. I should be taking care of my kid. At night, he could be up every one to two hours. And then it got to the point where he was starting to wake Hazen up. So then I decided to move Stratton downstairs. So I would sleep on the couch. Or at one point, I got Tim to bring in one of the twin mattresses (laughs) from his Capri. And I would sleep down there because I'm like, I can't have two kids getting no sleep. And so early on, the pediatrician at like five months had to start to do like cry it out with Stratton to try to get him to sleep better at night because I would feed him. Well, his acid reflux would get worse. And that's why he was constantly waking up because he was so uncomfortable. And then we also switched acid reflux medications and finally found something that worked. So in this time, Hazen started, I think at first he was doing really well. Um, but in this time, then we started to notice Hazen was starting to act out at school or at daycare, preschool. Um, things were seemed like just getting worse. And so again, I felt, oh my gosh, like I would never trade Stratton for the whole world. But what did I do? What did we do? Again, I feel like I'm failing. I have this, you know, baby at home that we're trying to figure things out with. Now he's acting out at school. You know, I even got to a point where like somebody who was like a good friend of mine had talked about Hazen's behavior to others. That was heartbreaking. So then I felt like I was like dealing with that on top of it. Cause, and so it just like, again, the failure feeling. And Tim's on the road at this point. And I had Chelsea and I still have Chelsea. Just to reference that she's, yeah, we can get into that later. But he was gone and, you know, trying to make a living for our family. I'm trying to take care of the kids. And I didn't want to burden him with everything that was going on. And so then in turn, I feel like I would just try to swallow it and take care of it. He knows something's wrong because he, I mean, he knows me. But it was hard. I mean, that just all of that coming together, I think is just, it just sounds so overwhelming having to deal with all of that. And in large part on your own, like you said, you have help and Tim can be the most supportive husband in the world, but there's only so much they can do from afar. And then you talking about all these conflicting feelings, not wanting to burden him, but also needing his support. I'm trying to put myself in your shoes and think about that. I know I think every single mom out there identifies or can relate to that mom guilt you talk about. We never feel like we're doing a good enough job, any mom out there. And we can find that guilt. It doesn't have to come from anywhere. <laughs> we'll just make it up out of nowhere. It is. It really is a gift that you know moms are blessed with. 
these things that we can torture ourselves over. So knowing how that feels in things that I've faced, I can only imagine the level to which you were feeling that when it's it's just almost like you're being torn apart like too many different directions. You're worried about what this child's going through. You're worried about what this child's going through, feeling like you're never enough for anybody, right? Because you're just spread too thin, much less taking care of yourself. I'm sure just is like so far at the back of the list mm-hmm. that you're not doing any of that, I'm sure. Well, and that's something Tim always says to me, even today, he just said it, like you need to do stuff for yourself too. Like you can't be in... He's so good about that. Like he truly does. He cares so much. He cares about our boys so much, about me so much. But like you said, there's just something about a mom. And it sometimes it just hits different. And yeah, in those times when I I experience it still, not so much like things obviously have gotten a lot better with having two and you get more used to it. I still feel pulled and stuff, but you know, we're still going through things with Hazen. And I think it's something that for a long time, like I noticed Hazen was, and I hate to say not your typical kid or he's different. And these things like notice things early on, but you almost don't want to notice them as a parent, or at least for me, I didn't necessarily want to give light to those things because I wanted him to be like your typical three-year-old, four-year-old, and now five-year-old. But the truth is he's not. He's amazing. But we've gone through struggles with Hayes, and especially, I would say, like in the last year when Tim was at Calgary this last year, even a little bit before that, but things got a lot worse. He was having like, his behaviors at school started right around like Stratton or at daycare preschool, but they were getting worse, but I wasn't really experiencing them at home. And so he was pretty like happy. I, I didn't really have these big fits and those types of things as much at home. He would listen to me like in timeouts. And as he got a little bit older, which also is harder because they're getting bigger, you know, I hate to be like, oh, boys can handle it more, but I'm not like this, like tall, you know, big woman. And so like when you would have these huge fits, like I can't physically necessarily do a lot. He would hit, he would kick, he would spit, he would throw things. And then you have two kids. So you have to make sure Stratton's safe. And then you have this fit going on. And I remember this summer, it got a lot worse when Tim was at Calgary. And for, I think over 24 hours, I didn't tell Tim that it was terrible. Like I was bawling at home, but he was in Calgary and it was going well. And I did not want him to not have this burden, but there was nothing he could do from afar. And I knew he would offer to come home. And that was the last thing I wanted him to do. It it wasn't going to change anything, him coming home. And so I just kind of went through it. And finally, after like 24 hours, I kind of told Tim when I felt like I had things more under control. And I just remember that was the first time that it was like, days of I was like who is this kid what am I doing wrong like I'm trying all these different things nothing's working and so I just felt super overwhelmed and so I started it's okay I can't take this anymore I can't pretend like everything is just like normal we've done other things like he already had an IEP we had skills and stuff that were being in place but those things weren't working what we were doing wasn't working and so we just started to look into more avenues. And I think like it's really, truly accepting. Okay, there's things going on here. 
It's not just your typical behaviors. It's not just your typical boy behaviors. Cause that's some of it, right? He's a boy. He's rough. He's tough. Tim said he would act out as a kid. He's like, I was a bad kid. Like I had a hard time at ages. And I think some of that is, and maybe Tim had some of this going on too. You know, things are so different now than they were then. But so we looked into like more diagnostic things. Unfortunately, one of the places that I wanted to get Hazen into for like evaluations and stuff like that, we're a year to two years out. We were already on the waiting list for to test him for autism. Now we do not know if Hazen is slightly on the spectrum. Um, I have some people who know that kind of stuff say maybe he is slightly on the spectrum. Some do not think so. And so we still have not gotten that official testing and I don't care. It does not matter to us. I just want, we want all the tools possible to help him. And so in that time, we were able to get other testing done on some behavior things and for ADHD. ADHD and ADD is like one of the things that we were able to go through some testing for. He does have ADHD. I had zero clue. I thought, oh, you have ADHD. You have a hard time paying attention. People with bad ADHD can take a medication. It helps move on. Right. I had no clue the extent of what ADHD can be and how hard it can be and that these behaviors or cannot come with it. It's some of both. Some kids have behaviors with it. Some don't. So I just knew so little. And it's until you're going through it, I don't know if you do know. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's been interesting learning about ADHD, what it how it can affect you, how it can affect your home, how it affects your kid, how it affects them at school. And I think also a big part is Hazen's communication has been a little bit behind. He's had two sets of tubes. And so there for a while, I don't think he like heard things as well. Um, he had fluid on his ears for three months, but they wouldn't do the second set of tubes until he had so many ear infections. And so I think some of these things all play in together. And then it's like, as a parent, we like to play the blame game. So Tim and yeah. I will sit and talk, oh my gosh, when we make things worse by taking him on the road all the time, not having him in preschool and daycare, like consistently, is this something that we've made worse? You know, it's Peyton is on this side of your shoulder, just feeding right. you all these things and the guilt can be real, but I feel like we're moving in a better direction. Hazen is on ADHD medication now. That was really hard for me. Okay, I'm failing. I can't help my kids. So I have to turn to a medication. And again, as like you start to face things, and you and I talked about this even before, like your, I don't know, like shamefulness, whatever it is, goes out the window. All you want to do is help your kids. So I started talking to people more about it. I started, I stopped being ashamed of what was going on and started openly talking about it. And so this summer we were in, we went to Cheyenne and Jess, Hope, one of Tim's, you know, best friends, traveling partners. I'm really close with Sydney, his now wife, and I adore her family. So we went and stayed with them in Colorado and her mom, Amber has four kids. And so we're out there talking and they love our boys like their own Sydney. Oh my gosh. She just loves our boys. Her mom loves our boys. Like they're amazing. And you know, Sid's kind of known everything always. So I'm talking to Amber and she was like, well, you believe in God, right? And I was like, yeah. And she was, I'm like, duh. She was like, well, why would he create medication if we weren't supposed to use it to help us? Wow. Here I am feeling so guilty 
that I want to use medication to help my kid. Yeah, why did God make it? I'm not saying, oh, all medication, you should just use it. But I just had this such guilt with it. Like, why can't we help our own kid? Why do so we tried that for obviously a while, trying to help, you know, without. And so we started medication. And I would say it has helped probably 80%. But I've also noticed that when he's not on the medication now, and I do much less of a dose at home than he takes when he goes to school that his behaviors are getting better, that his communication is getting better. He's able, starting to be able to slow his mind down enough, I think, on his own, that he can control things. He can sit and he can play and he can have conversations with you. And those are all things that you want your kid to be able to do at school yeah. and to build friendships. And that's something we worry about is he is different. But different is good. And I think as he gets older, it's going to be great. You know, I say all these manic behaviors, but on the other side of that 10% of manic behaviors, 90%, he is the sweetest kid you will ever meet. He loves his little brother more than life itself. Like, where's Stratty? What's Stratty doing? We need, don't forget to feed Stratton lunch. Why is Stratty crying, mom? Make him happy. He's amazing. Yeah. But we're just, we're going through things. But we still yeah. are. It's getting better, but we are still going through it. Hearing your story, and I'm sure that it's something that there are a lot of moms that will listen and feel thankful to you for opening up about because maybe they're going through something similar. And I think no matter what our personal struggles, we tend to feel really alone in them. And oftentimes there is that element of like shame that you were mentioning as that we don't feel like we can open up. We either think we should be stronger. We think we shouldn't be struggling with it. You can second guess yourself for so many reasons, regardless of what you're struggling with. But I think that one of the best things we can do for ourselves is to open up because you find, you know, sometimes unexpected support or unexpected resources, or just like you talking about having that conversation and how at that time it was something that you really needed to hear. You know, it made you feel less alone in your struggles or gave you some tools or confidence or reassurance that you're headed down the right path because it's so apparent in listening to you talk just how much you love your boys and love being a mom and how you want the best for them and are really willing to do anything you can to give them the most happiness and the best life and the most love, which is the most important thing. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, and that is, you know, I think that's so hard when you love someone so much, all you want is for them to be happy, succeed, to be a good human. And I just think we can put so much of that, you know, on ourselves. And I think at times I've gotten lost in it, but and again, so we still have Chelsea also. So not only did she, she didn't end up moving out at two months. She's changed. <laughs> and she's still with us. And I think to some people, it's like funny, like, why do you need someone to like help you raise your kids? But it also goes into, well, she's a nurse too, which is like amazing. But she's become a huge support for me in this. Like she loves Hazen, like you wouldn't believe. And like, she's probably one of my best friends now. And her and Tim are also like, best friends now. And so when he's gone, it's amazing. And I think it helps him not worry so much, but she's also been this great support from day one through it. She's 
so reassuring of like, you're doing a great job, Sammy, like you're doing everything you can do. And so I think like without her a little bit, I would have been even in a deeper hole. And other yeah. people have been great support too, but I just think it can be hard. And I don't mean this to sound like this in a negative way, but like the hard that I have, somebody else would kill for it. They would, sure. they would, they would love to have my two boys, somebody who yeah. can't have kids or somebody who doesn't have a husband and wants a husband, whatever it may be. I think sometimes it just comes down to being thankful for what you have, even if it's hard in that moment. And I'm not saying that like you can't, obviously I've wallowed in my hardness, like I have, but you can't feel sorry for yourself forever. And I just think being able to share it and talk about it, I think helps me because I want to help somebody else. And like you said, other people have helped me through this. Even if they don't know it, little bits and tips and tricks and just that, you know, knowing like you felt like you were losing your mind when you had two kids. Just hearing that because you feel, I felt guilty feeling that way. Yeah. Those things matter. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, they absolutely do. They absolutely do. I just, I wish that we were closer and I could give you a big <laughs> hug right now. <laughs> Me too. No, this has been, yeah, it's something I wondered if I would be able to talk about and I'm glad I did. Yeah. I'm glad you did too. Switching gears here a little bit, but also something that I think in a different way, on a different level, ties back in that I wanted to talk to you about. Tim has obviously had an incredibly successful career. He's a three-time world champion. He makes the finals over and over and over again. He's kind of a mainstay. Everybody expects to see his face in the winner's circle these days, and for good reason. But I know back in 2020, he ended up missing out on another world championship title then. And I know just in talking to you before that this was maybe a pivotal sort of point in not his career, but maybe on a more personal level as far as how it ties in to your lives and rodeo. And I was wondering if we could talk about that a little bit. Yes, of course. So we went into the 2020 NFR. And I'm also going to get off topic for a second too. Tim is known as like a very serious, intense, whatever you may call it, competitor. I mean, he is all those things, but he's not usually those things like he's super funny light-hearted jokester like the most caring loving compassionate person ever so like when people describe him as that I'm always like what are you talking about or (laughs) oh he's just so serious like he's so competitive like he's not like that at home I know I see him like that at like at the NFR but it's not what I experience at home typically so the NFR comes him and Casey get it in a world title race. And I mean, I'll just say it at the time, I think the judging was so bad, not just for them, for other guys at that NFR. And no matter who won, and I could be wrong, I think they, either person would have felt like because of the judging, it was just messed up. They would switch who was in the lead every night. It would just teeter totter. And, you know, it was a lot to watch on like my end, but I can't imagine the feeling. And I remember going into the 10th round. I don't remember if Tim or Casey was leading it. I don't remember who was leading it. Tim rode, he was like 89, 90. Casey had a re-ride. So I guess Tim would have been leading it because he was going to be last. Casey had a re-ride. 
Sam came and found me. We were in the dugout, which never happens either. That the waves are down below. And he came and found me before the rewrite. And he was like, he just had this like feeling in his gut. He was like, I'm not going to win. This is just what it is. And I was like, stop. Like, you're being negative. Don't think like that. And I just saw this like look of sadness in his face. And for those that probably don't know, like at the NFR, like we're way far away from them. You can't quickly get to someone. But it. The COVID NFR, we were like down below. So you could easily like access the contestants. So he went on the back of blocking shoots, watched Casey won. And I knew Tim would be sad. And he was sad and he cried. And that's hard to see. I know it's known as like cowboys are tough and which is true. I've rarely seen Tim cry. So that was hard to see the heartbrokenness, the letdown, how he like, just like, his facial expressions and he just kept crying all night and I'm like what is going on like part of me was like this isn't normal this is like a an object a thing but at the same time you get it they work their whole season some their whole career for this moment and like I said the highs are high and the lows are low yeah but I also started to recognize in that moment okay something is a little bit wrong here and not even so much in that moment I guess is the days to come I guess it's normal maybe to feel that let down that moment that night but it was the days to come it was the next day it was the week from that day it was the month from that day where this feeling and this look in Tim he was empty he wasn't funny he wasn't happy he wasn't mean he wasn't mean at all yeah he just wasn't the Tim that you were used to no and everyone was calling him you know like wanting to talk about it, whether they said, oh, shake it off or you got screwed. Like it was just the topic of conversation. It just kept going. He's constantly having to relive it. Even to the point where Tim was like, I don't know if I want to keep doing this. And I was like, walk away. I don't care. I could care less as long as you're happy. Like doesn't matter to me. I love rodeo. I love the community it is. I love being with the girls. I love seeing the guys, all of it. But I could care less as long as you're happy. And if that is what will make you happy, then walk away. I don't think that's what will make you happy. But if it is, do it. And this went on for probably another month or two. And at this point, he's decided to keep rodeoing and he started rodeoing again. But he has no joy. He is angry at this point, almost inside, not to me, right. not to anyone else, but he's angry. He's bitter. So I was like, listen, I'm heartbroken for you. I want to help you, but I don't think I can help you. Nothing I'm saying is helping. Nothing I'm doing is helping. I was like, you have to talk to somebody. And I was like, and the only person that I really know to talk to is Paige Champion. And at first I was like, no way. It's like my competitor and friend's wife. I'm not talking to her. And I was like, fine, then find someone. And it took him probably another month to come to terms with that. He should talk to someone. So then he decided to reach out to Paige. And they had a full conversation. He told her all the things that like he felt. I'm worried that you're Richmond's wife. I'm worried things that I say <laughs> you're not going to like and you'll judge me for. Like I'm talking about how I'm feeling. Like other people that are our mutual friends. Like I have a lot of S-H-I-T going on inside of here. And like, I don't want you to think differently of me. And Paige was like, I can help you. But if at any time you don't think I can, 
then you can talk to somebody else. I will help you find somebody else. So he talked to her for about a year and they just broke so much down. She really broke through those barriers of why are you feeling this way? What can we do about it? And a lot of it came down to like control your controllables. And a lot of mine and Tim's conversations came to the point of like, he found his joy, not even in rodeo, but in winning, in being the best, in his self-worth. I think he literally in that moment devalued himself of not winning the 2020 world title as a person. And when you put your joy and who you are and your standards into something that you cannot control, you can work as hard as you want, but you can't control it. And then it's like, what are you doing? Your joy is coming from objects, from things, from what other people think, from this gold buckle, which in itself is fleeting. You know, you're high that night of winning the gold buckle. You know, he says it's so high, but the next day, the new season has already started. You know, like it is such a high and it's not that isn't so valued and he's still striving for that again. But your joy can't come from it. Your happiness yeah. can't come from that because you'll never feel fully fulfilled. Well, even just it sounds like what you're saying is even just you place all of your value into what you can accomplish. It's about your accolades. And when you're tying your own self-worth and thus your happiness, you're always going to be chasing it, right? And going back to you talking about Paige, if anybody doesn't know, and she's been on the podcast before, obviously the world as a whole just loves and adores Paige because she's so (laughs) wonderful. But she is a performance coach. And so that's, you know, like her occupation. And Luke even worked with her. But I think it's really interesting in you talking about Tim working with her in the sense that it's almost like therapy, right? Like he's going in because he's struggling. It wasn't about his talent in not winning. But that he was having all these other emotions that you described, that like resentment, the bitterness, the frustration, just finding no joy in something that he used to obviously love. And how he goes and works with somebody like Paige who helps him through that stuff, which kind of is more emotional. And in working through it, he probably finds joy in rodeoing again, maybe has a bit of a perspective switch about where his value lies. And then can go out and be successful in the physical sense, you know, at his job and stuff like that. And it's just so interesting to me how that all really ties together. And I think what an awesome example that you're talking about. Well, and I think that's just it. He has found the joy in rodeo again. He loves it. And that's what he said. He's like, I haven't won a world title since 19. I believe I will again, but I have so much more joy and so much more love for the sport. And the big thing that I'll never forget, and it was right after the 2020 NFR, we're really close with the Lamberts, Cody and Lee and Lambert. They live in Texas and we went there. Cody was the one person that wasn't going to feel sorry for Tim. He was like, it sucks what happened. Can't change it. He said, but I need to tell you something, you know, Cody. And for those of you that don't know, like Cody was, rodeo legend I mean he did amazing he never won a world title but he's incredible and he knows so many legends and he said rodeo isn't going to remember your accolades it's going to remember who you were and how you treated others and how you made others feel 
And so Tim and Paige talked a lot about that, the legacy that Tim wants to leave behind. And I remember Cody saying, you know, I know some guys who won world titles and I want nothing to do with them after a rodeo. They're divorced. They don't have many friends. Some of them are drunks. He was like, and is that what you want out of your life? And that's him and Paige really talked a lot about that. Like what legacy he wants to leave behind. Yes, he wants to be known for one of the greatest ever. Of course. But what else? And who do you want to be known as? Not what? And so that's the big thing Tim's focused on. And I feel like he takes rodeo seriously still when he's about to compete. But he has a lot more fun with the guys. And he's built even stronger friendships with the guys. And I think that's one thing like 2020, Tim was so jaded at Casey, even though it had nothing to do with Casey. And now they're great friends. So it's interesting when you take the time to stop playing the blame game. You know, it's like I said, the judging wasn't great that year. You can blame the judges all you want, but that's not going to change who you are and how you feel. And so sometimes we just have to take a deep look and do work on ourselves, I think. And I'm so proud of him because that's what he did. And who he is now, I would pick 10 times over that, you know, in reality, it's just the truth. Yeah. It sounds just like that same thing that I find we talk about over and over again, where, you know, it's like the struggles that we were talking about you having as a mom and, you know, that Tim has gone through that end up when you get through them and they're so hard, but when you get through them, they're really what make you who you are, you know, it's our struggles that tend to make us grow and turn into the people that we're meant to be. And I loved what you were saying there just about all of that. I mean, the rodeo experience and the lifestyle is great, not just because of the wins. It's all those other things you touched on, the, you know, the friendships and the experience of it all. Because those are the things that I find really stick with you. And so that he's found a way to go back to it and have a fuller rodeo experience of this time in his life that's not going to last forever, but that it will be when he does look back on it, it will be more than just the wins he remembers. Yeah. And I think that's a big part of it. It's the people. I mean, some of his very best friends are from rodeo. Some of my very best friends are the Wyatts. That's a thing. And to be jaded from things like that, You just lose out on so much. Yeah, for sure. Well, at the end of every episode, I like to ask the guest if they would share like their favorite rodeo moment or memory. I'd say probably the first year that Tim won Cheyenne, I got to be there and we had other like family and friends there. But I was also pregnant with Hazen and no one really knew yet. Uh-huh. And so I feel like that was really cool because it was like really almost like the three of us were there. That was such a big rodeo. And I just remember like that feeling of such a joy. But I think also in that I have one more favorite memory. And it was when he won Cheyenne. I think it was probably like two years ago. And Hazen and I were both there together. and I was pregnant with Stratton and I didn't know oh my gosh talk about full circle how cool is that so yep 
I, it is funny when I didn't know yet. Oh, I love that. Yeah. So I think like now Cheyenne, I feel like has an even like more special place in my yes. heart. Yeah. But I mean, that rodeo is so fun to see them win and to, you know, be there for two of the times that he's won it has been awesome yeah. too. But Yes. So Cheyenne. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> Cheyenne wins. Yes. And it, it, it can't be a coincidence that it's called the daddy of them all, right? Right. Well, Sammy, thank you so much for being here today and being so open and honest with your life. I think that I just, I really appreciate it. I think that's a unique and great quality to have to share those types of things. The things that aren't as pretty or as exciting as the big wins, but are even more important. Well, thank you for having me. You get it as much as anyone does. And I think that's one of the really nice things about doing this, like with you and the fact that you're bringing such light to it. Yeah, I think it's amazing because our lives are so good. We are so blessed. Like I wouldn't trade this life for anything, but there are hard things and hard times just like anybody else's life. Yeah. I hope you've had as much fun as I have listening to the heartwarming stories, adventures, mishaps, and life lessons from the arena and beyond. Now that you're officially a member of our Big Rodeo family, it would mean so much to us if you could take a moment to leave a rating and a written review. I'm passionate about putting these stories out into the world, and I love hearing your feedback. Knowing exactly what you want to hear more of or how an episode resonated with you helps us to continue to grow, and most importantly, share even more of our wild rodeo lives. Mm-hmm.